Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. We do pray for your shepherding care to be known amongst our young people, both as they meet through in the hall at Park Kids, as four of the younger girls go with Karen this afternoon through to Encounter. There is about nearly 200 registered for this afternoon's program. Starts at one o'clock, I think, or no, two o'clock perhaps. But Lord, we thank you for leaders, youth leaders like Karen, others in our church up and down our land who are making the effort on a day which isn't all that great to bring some of the young folk together so that they might and they might encounter in a new and deeper and fresh way with the living God as they explore as we did back in the summertime going around those various prayer stations that we might explore different ways in which we can meet with the God who desires to have an intimate relationship with men and women. And so we do pray a blessing upon that today and ask that the weather and other things will not prevent folks from getting there and benefiting from it and deepening in their love of you and of their love for each other. We pray that for that group, but Lord, we pray for all the different ways in which as Christians we can grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the various fellowship groups which are part of our church family. We thank you above everything else for the Bible and for our access to it. And we particularly pray for believers in other parts of the world who maybe don't have the same access to the Bible as we do or in accessing it face very real challenges. Many of us will maybe already have looked inside the church leaflet this morning and seen just an update that we periodically put into the leaflet, taken from Open Doors, a Christian organization that supports the suffering, the persecuted church. But we do pray for believers in Pakistan, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, and particularly in Iran. And at this time when we hear of global tensions between Pakistan and India, when we're aware of turmoil within countries like the Philippines and Indonesia, and when Iran is periodically in use, particularly this past week, as that lady continues to be held in imprisonment there and has now been made by the British authorities a British citizen and therefore should be receiving better protection and hopefully released from prison. So we do think of Christians in Iran who continue to be arrested following a major crackdown on believers over the Christmas period. And we do commit these brothers and sisters to you, thanking you for the way in which you are revealed amongst them and within them and for their example of faithfulness and of love. And we ask that as we meet here in comfort, in freedom, with all the blessings materially of life that we enjoy, 
that you would stir within us a hunger for the things of God. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. Amen. And I meant to say, this, the, the wee bookstall that we have periodically will be getting taken away this week. We can only have it for so long. I would commend it to you. There are still some cards left. We, we get bring cards quite regularly for various needs. So there's still a few, including one or two Easter cards. I'm sure most of us, I presume, have a Bible in a modern language. Um, maybe not your, you may also have your Bible that you got when you were christened, which is minuscule type and is an authorized version. I would encourage you, if that's the case, to get a, a more modern version of the Scriptures. Um, there are copies of God's Word there. I know somebody already has purchased one for themselves. There are one or two wee books that just explore a wee bit of, of the faith and what it means to think about God and think about the journey with Jesus as we approach Easter. Um, so I commend that to you, that, that the wee box is there also for your money. Um, and please do have a wee look. We'll clear it, and then we'll get a fresh um, bookstall for Easter season. I had a, a job to do yesterday. It had been one that I had been putting off for some time, um, but I knew it have to be done. Because when the shower was running, what you were starting to find was that your feet were getting washed more than just with a shower, but you were starting to have a little mini bath. And, and, and we have one of these, you know, th you, you turn it on the bath and the, it pops up the kind of lid. And, and I thought, mm, there's something somewhere clogging the drains. And, and the, it came to a head, really, because uh, my two sons had been at the, the barbers, the hairdressers, and, and decided to, of course, wash their hair. And so, of course, there was even more bountiful supplies of hair, you know. I noticed, I'm saying this, well, one of them's only here today, but you notice they don't bother, you know, clearing the drains. Left the mug and seal, you know. So they were, they were that, so I thought, right, let's get in here. So I lifted up the top of the drain, and, and there was obviously some hair gathered there, so that's fair enough. So I took that away, and I ran it, thinking, that's it, that's the job. I've done it, I've cleared it, you know. Good, I'm going to have a coffee. Um... But it started filling up again. So I looked down and I couldn't really see very much into the big black hole. So I thought, hmm. And then I've got came to mind, I used tweezers from a stamp collection. I thought, if I got a pair of tweezers and went, <laughs> and then I thought, well, I'm not wanting to use my tweezers for my valuable stamp. No, Agnes is not Jane. I thought, right. I thought, I bet Elizabeth will have a pair of tweezers somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not saying why she might have them, but I'll have a look for them anyway. So I went right about and I found a pair more suitable for, for, the, for the deal, more pointed and sharp. My, my ones for the stamp collection are kind of uh, flattened for, for tastefully holding your stamps. And I got hold of this and I shut it. And then I went, ding. And guess what came up? But hair and gunge. And I, I have to tell you, I was at the job for about 10 minutes. It's amazing, isn't it? What's down your drains? Say when you get home now, you'll be. And it all came up, and I cleared, yes. I was just telling Elizabeth this while we're having our lunch, by the way, just to, just to kind of add to That's why she's away to Falkirk, you know, to get out the road. Um, and then I put it all back on, and then and I thought, that's it, clear, take away. But if I had just been taken in by the initial kind of, oh, well, that's it, it looks clear, would I really have cleared the drain? No. I had to dig down. I had to spend time 
I had to poke about. And I'd be doing something that actually I'd be, part of me really wouldn't want to do, but the job's been done. So if anybody needs a shower, <laughs> I've got clear drains. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus Christ is the same as a lot of guns down your drain. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting this morning, as we look to the passage of Scripture that's set before us, that we all at times need to dig down, need to go out of our comfort zone. And I can assure you what comes out of that drain is not just here, I can tell you that. We need to go beyond our comfort zone. And sometimes we need to explore things that are uncomfortable, maybe not even particularly what we would want to hear or embrace or deal with. But we need to if we're really going to find out what the problem is with us, and how that can be resolved. And so, I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to read some verses that actually I read at the manager's meeting on Tuesday evening. And, and if you are liturgical, I'll put it on the sheet. This is the first Sunday of Lent. Not that I'm going to be going around with pancakes or taking um, ash and marking your forehead with it, um, or nor am I going to tell you that you stop eating chocolate for the next 40 days. I'm not going to suggest that, but this particular Sunday is quite helpful because it really is meant to help us to begin to think about Easter. You might think we just got Christmas past, but we're now on the journey towards Easter. This year, Easter being later in April, it means that we're a wee bit later on in the, the year than normal for thinking about Lent. We're on a journey. And over these past weeks, we've had one or two special things the last couple of weeks, but over these past weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus encountered different people on that journey, and did that journey from His birth right through, and we will carry that journey on right through to Easter, and of course to the glory of the resurrection. And on that journey, the gospel writers are writing this, Luke particular, at the beginning of the gospel, we reference that Luke particular has written this gospel so that his readers might explore, might go on a journey of discovery, might dig down and find out really what is at the heart of Christianity. That's what he says. I'll just read it again in case you're not familiar with that. At the beginning of his gospel, you don't need to look back, most of you, but at the beginning of the gospel, this is what he says. Look, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke has listened to the eyewitnesses. He himself has gone in an in-depth investigation. That's really what he's saying when he says carefully investigate. I mean, he's been digging down. He's been looking at the evidence. He's been weighing things up. He's been hearing the stories of the eyewitnesses. And he's done that so that Theophilus and those of us here today who are reading part of the gospel, so that we may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. And so, Luke and did all the gospel writers bring together these stories in order that the listener, the reader, the person who's engaging with the story will themselves find out who Jesus really is. And in this little section we're looking at this morning, it'd be interesting, it begins with this part. So, let's read together. Luke 18 and verse 31. 
Jesus took the twelve disciples aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. We'll pause there. I kind of feel sorry for the disciples. Luke, in his gospel, um, tells us that three times, this is the third time, three times Jesus, on the journey with the disciples, they're always moving on, and here now they're starting to move towards Jerusalem, that Jesus three times tells them what's going to happen. And yet three times we're told the disciples basically were left a bit kind of bewildered and, you know, not very sure what it was all about. And when you read the gospel stories, it's so often the disciples who almost are the last to actually catch on. It's actually quite interesting here that the setting is quite deliberate. We have the disciples, we have the blind beggar, and we have Zacchaeus. In one sense, we're going down the pecking order. Sometimes you might think you should go up the pecking order. We're going down the pecking order. We start with the disciples, the team that are around the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, and they're the kind of in-group. And then we have the beggars. Well, they're the folks that are very much on the fringes of respectable society. I mean, if you were blind in a beggar in Jewish society, well, really, you were a bit, you know, kind of lost. And then, worse of all, and let's be honest, times haven't changed, the tax command. This. And that really was the bottom of the pile, you know, really. I mean, a the only thing you could be worse than a tax man was, dare I say, ladies, to be a woman and a Gentile. But apart from that, tax men were really, you know, because why? Not just because they took your money, but because they worked for the Romans. And so there's a kind of pecking order, downward pecking order, and you would think the team, the A-team, the folk gathered around Jesus, well, they'd be clued up. They'd be zoned in. They'd be ready for what was happening and have a good idea of what was lying before them. And yet we're told they didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus did. Jesus has already told the disciples that his will, his desire is to do his Father's will. Luke has already told us that when he was born and when he was brought to the temple to be dedicated and all these stories are all connected together, part of the journey of exploring who Jesus is. Remember when he was brought to the temple and Simeon saw the child, he praised God. Why? Because the prophet Isaiah had said that God's salvation and righteousness would soon be revealed, and Simeon, a man of God's word who knew the teaching of the prophet, said, it's happened. The prophet's word is made more sure. In this little bundle of flesh, God's salvation and righteousness is revealed. But he also told Mary that the child that she had brought for dedication along with Joseph would be set for the rising and falling of many, and a sword would pierce her own heart. He saw, he knew what the prophets had foretold of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, of the lamb led to the slaughter, of the one who would have his body marred. And Jesus knew that that was his mission. 
you know, my friends, if we take away from the story of Jesus, why he came, of that journey to Jerusalem, of that fulfillment of everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man, of the fact that he was delivered over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, that, they were, that he was mocked, that he was insulted, that he was spat on, that he was flogged and killed, and the third day he would rise again. If we take that away from the heart of the gospel, then actually we don't have Christianity. If we make Jesus out to be some great moral teacher, we're only seeing a small part of the fullness of the Godhead who bodily dwelled in the Lord who walked in earth. I must go to Jerusalem, Jesus said. Remember Peter? When Peter in Mark's gospel, where Jesus says that is what's going to happen, then but Peter said, oh no, Lord, you know, we are your A-team. We'll protect you. We'll not allow this. And what did Jesus say? Get you behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in your mind, but the things of Satan and darkness. Jesus, you, why he came. Jesus, you, what that would mean. Jesus saw where this journey was going to end. The disciples were so slow to understand any of this. And the sad thing is that so often it's us, it's disciples, it's the followers of Jesus who actually are the slowest to respond to what God is saying and inviting them to understand. We are like the sheep who think we know better and we go off and do our own thing. We make decisions about our lives, about our work, about our relationships, about where we're going to go and about what we're going to do, and we just journey on, willy-nilly. Oh, we come to church, we, we sing our hymns, we say we believe in God, but in reality, our hearts often are so slow, so insensitive, so cold to the shepherd's words and leading and love. And in so doing, we miss out on what it means to take up our cross and to come and to follow Him. Let's sing together a hymn that reminds us of who this Jesus is. Jesus is Lord, the cry that echoes through creation, resplendent power, eternal word, our rock. And we'll stand. But if the disciples found that the meaning of what Jesus was saying was hidden from them, and, 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 and just a, a vagueness and a confusion about it all, ironically, not all in the story were like that. Let's read on. As Jesus approached Jericho, this is Jesus journeying towards Jerusalem now, approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard the crowds going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. God. And again, and I, and I want to bring this out because it's important we understand the gospel writers as well, why they're putting things together. The story before all of what we're reading about this morning, of course, is the story of the rich strong ruler. We've already mentioned him in the past. Here was somebody who had everything. Here was somebody who definitely you would want on your team. Remember, we watched the video Bible a couple of weeks ago when that was included in this an account. And I mean, he was a man. He looked the part. He was, oh. Well, he had his horse, no, a donkey. He obviously was there. You know, he had his Merc or his BMW. No, his wee kind of, you know, well, I don't know. Do they have, they still do have Skodas, don't they? Yes, they do. Well, they're better now. You could say ladder, just in case somebody's got a Skoda car. A ladder car, remember the ladder cars? Well, instead of that, he had the parts. He was the thing. And yet he walked away, he walked away. Oh, no. No, 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 this is all just... And the beggar, who's a nobody, there'd be people round about saying, well, we know why he's blind. His parents must have done something terrible along with his grandpa. Oh, I know about him. Oh, yes. Look, he smells. Look, in the season. And oh, for goodness sake. Maybe he's an alkyl, or maybe he's this, or maybe he's that, or whatever, you know. And he's lying there in a mess. And there's no social security, no doctors, no health service, and nothing. He's just not even worth listening to. Shut up. Don't shout out, you're embarrassing the rest of us. We are the respectable folk from the village standing here waiting for Jesus. We don't want you kind of riffraff breaking us up, you know. And yet that blind beggar saw with a clarity that only could come from the power of God who Jesus really was. Look what happens. Jesus Nazareth is passing by. This is not just Jesus Nazareth. This is not just the Son of Man. He is. This is the son of David, the son of God. And although he was blind, he could sense in his spirit that something mighty was happening. Here was someone who could give him not just his sight, but look what happens. He receives his sight and doesn't go off like many others who have been healed by Jesus and disappear off into the sunset and are never seen again and might even be in that crowd who shout for his death at the end of that holy week. But this man follows Jesus, praising God. For he was blind. But now he sees. Oh, that rich young ruler had it all. He had all his faculties about him, but he was spiritually blind to the guns that was in his soul of his own self-attitude and self-idolatry. 
the disciples had journeyed with Jesus, but they could only see very vaguely what was happening, and they were so filled with so many other things going on in their minds and their hearts that they did not fully understand. But this man saw and got what he needed. A new life, a new beginning, a new status, <coughs> a new hope. You know, my friends, that still is the power of the gospel today. Helen Chalmers, that's known by a number of us, phoned yesterday from the Baltimore Bridge. I think she'd had coffee with Moya earlier in the day. And she's away today with her granddaughter, I think it is it, for her 18th birthday. Um, they're away to Krakow to visit, well, Krakow and Auschwitz and things like that. But she wanted, and going to see these very some of these very dark things, Auschwitz obviously is. She wanted to have a Christian book with her to pass on, hopefully to her granddaughter. And she'd left it lying, bless Helen, but she's a wee bit scatty, I think she'd be the first to say that. So she'd left the books lying on the kitchen table, and so she phoned up and asked if I could get them from something from the church library. So I went out to Baltimore Bridge in the afternoon just for a wee while and handed over a couple of books. One which was more, she has a real heart for the suffering church, one more to do with that. But the other one which more for her granddaughter was actually from the had been in the bookstore, 40 just very short stories of people who had been in prison recently, I mean recent times, and who in different ways had looked down that plug hole and had seen the gunge that was in their lives, but had also known the grace of God, the love of God that had lifted them and forgiven them and filled them, not with all the dark things that had so damaged who they were, and through them damaged so many other people, but filled them with a new song, a song of praise to their God. Let's pray for that granddaughter, that as she sees how dark and how deep the human spirit can fall at Auschwitz, she'll also read of the God who can reach down bring sight to the most spiritually blind. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch Him and say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We'll sing it through a couple of times together. The first time, Graham will lead us in the piano, and then the second time, let's sing it. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho, chapter 19, and was passing through. And he was passing through because his eyes, I must go to Jerusalem. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was not just any old tax collector, he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I'm sure many of us from our days in Sunday school can remember the story of Zacchaeus. This wee, probably no doubt, bumptious fellow who was a bit of a chancer and who'd made his money in the tax system. And, you know, and there was plenty of folk who said, see that guy? See what he did with me, my tax return. <laughs> he might have had wealth. He obviously had a nice house. He had all the trappings. But he was in need. And he felt that need so deeply that he actually didn't give a toss what the folk round about. He would come out, he went amongst the very people, many of whom he had mistreated and taken their money and everything else. He would know what they thought of him, but forgetting about any dignity he might have or any status that he might aspire to, he clambered up that blooming tree. I mean, let's be honest, that would be a thing, and was desperate. Why? Because he wanted to see Jesus. And how, my friends, we need to pray and pray to the Almighty God that the heavens might open and that by the Spirit of God there may be a real stirring in our society today that with, with all the things that we think are so vital turning to dust, there might be those who have a heart desire to see who this Jesus is. And are willing to forget what their pals or their husband or their wife or whoever might think. That they might be willing deep down as Zacchaeus was to know that yes, he was a chancer and a cheater and everything else. That they might be willing to get that gunge cleared out so that the flow of the Spirit of the living God would flush through their lives and transform their attitudes and their values in the way they relate not only to God but to others. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Me as an increasingly more convinced Calvinist would tell you, notice what happens. Jesus already knew that Zacchaeus was there. Didn't need anybody to tell him. He knew. He knows those who are his. He knows his sheep. He gave his life for his flock. On that cross, when he cried out, it is finished, he has paid the ransom money for every single one of his children. And he calls us by name, 
to welcome him in. And that man, that despised worker for the Romans, that traitor, that chancer, he is a son of Abraham. Why? How could that be? He's betrayed everything. He's no longer, for a good Jew, he's no longer a citizen of Israel. He's a traitor to, to all that we hold dear. No, Jesus says, he's a son of Abraham because like Abraham, he believed in God and trusted in God. And because of that, he's made right with God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. Not the righteous, Bertie Thomas. Not the folk who are well in. Not the folk who think they know it. But he's come to seek and to save the lost. Disciples, Lord Jesus, we are so often slow to catch on. we so easily lose sight of what it really is all about. We lay down carrying our cross, despite the fact, Lord Jesus, you said, if anyone would come after me, they need to take up their cross and come and follow you. The cross of self-denial, the cross of walking in the way of Jesus. And we ask, Oh, God, for your forgiveness. Such love. And we take that so lightly. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O oh Lord. And we rejoice that you are a God who delights in switching on the light of revealing the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are doing that this very day in our midst and in our nation. For that promise, Lord Jesus, that when you are lifted up, you do indeed draw men and women to yourself. And Lord, I know that there'll be those here this morning who just, Lord, are aware that you have opened their eyes. And they see Jesus. And yes, it's as through a glass darkly. We do not see fully. But we thank you for that promise that at the last we will stand before you. And we shall see you in all your fullness. And we shall also see that by that grace and love that has saved us, you've made us into the image of your Son. And we do pray, O oh God, our Father, that we may see more within our community whose eyes are opened. And we thank you, O oh God, that you do not look on the outward appearance. You do not judge by who we are or where we work or what we do. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the gunge that's in our lives, the things that need to be taken out and got rid of 
so that the water of your spirit can flow powerfully and clearly through us and so that we can become a blessing to others. We thank you that Zacchaeus, for being somebody who was looked down upon and somebody who was on the very edges, no doubt the folk wouldn't have let him through the crowd to the front. Don't have that man squeezing in here. Became a blessing to his community. As out of the bounty that he had, he shared with those who were in need. Lord, make us a place of blessing to our community. Where the blind see. Where the lost are found. And where the spiritually dead become alive. And so we offer you these our gifts. As a token of this our desire. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.